Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath hosting this show today, uh, coming to you live as I do every Sunday night to talk about sex, health, relationships, love, body image, self-esteem, sexual self-esteem, and everything in between. Thank you so much for being here with me. It's always my pleasure to be here with you. Uh, Tonight, if you're just joining me, welcome. And uh, if it's the first time, this is the second hour of the show. So thanks for staying with me if you've uh, stayed on this long. Uh, Great to have you. Or if you're just joining me, that's fantastic. So feel free to call me, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You can ask me anything, anything about sex, health, relationships, love, body image, sexual play, whatever. So I have this first question here. Uh, People seem to love to email me, sextalk at cknw.com. They're not as shy on email as they are on the phone. Uh, But I do not bite, believe me. I I won't bite through this mic, that's for darn sure. So here's the first email. Hi, Maureen, I'm 31 and my girlfriend is 40 and she told me last night she finds sex at home boring and wants to spice it up. Any ideas? She hinted at wanting sex outside of the house. Any ideas? I don't want to get arrested. Also, any toys you recommend for men? Well, um, you know, more women report boredom in the bedroom, sexual boredom in the bedroom than men do. So, and it's and really the responsibility lies on the women to keep things spicy and hot in the bedroom. So that can get a little tiring. So maybe it's time that you actually dressed up, Zorro, Batman, whatever, uh, surprise her. So that that could be uh, one way. Uh if she wants to go have sex outside of the house, uh, yes, you, you probably have to be careful because you can actually get arrested for coitus in a public place. I'm not sure if that is the actual criminal term for it, but uh, you want to be careful about that. I mean, you may find a secluded parking area or you may want to go to one of the soundproof bathrooms that many of the restaurants here in this city have. <laughs> Cactus Club for one. <laughs> As soundproof bathrooms. There was a time I had a whole list. I don't know what I, I'm sure I've got it on my computer. Uh, But that's a way. And also any toys you can recommend for men. Well, the prostate massagers are nice. The number one sex toy for men is the masturbation sleeve. The fleshlight. Of course, the fleshlight is going to make an appearance here in a few weeks. The next time Captain Scotty of the Jeff O'Neill show graces our place with his presence. Okay, well, thanks so much for that question. And the next question is, I'm going to change the word that this person used because he used a pejorative term. So any new information on delayed orgasm or delayed ejaculation? I'm a male and I have had this problem for many years. I am now 69. Well, that can actually be one of the reasons for delayed ejaculation. But delayed ejaculation, sometimes called impaired ejaculation, is a condition where it takes an extended period of sexual stimulation for a man to reach sexual climax and ejaculate or release semen from the penis. So some men with delayed ejaculation are unable to ejaculate at all. This can be a temporary or a lifelong problem. Possible causes include chronic health conditions, surgery, medication, depression, and of course the treatment uh, depends upon the underlying cause. It's actually not abnormal for men to have delayed ejaculation here and there from time to time. And the only reason that it is a that it would be a problem for you is if it causes stress for you 
or for your partner. So there are a number of reasons um, this delayed ejaculation. I can I can go into this as a subject for next week um, because it is uh, quite interesting, and a lot of people um, may experience this as well. So um, you want it. You want to see your doctor um, if this delayed ejaculation is an issue, and it does sound like it is one for you. You have another known health problem that may be linked to delayed ejaculation, or you have other symptoms in addition to the to the delayed ejaculation that may or may not seem related um, to it. So there are certain physical causes, like certain birth defects, injury to the pelvic nerves that control orgasm, certain infections, like a urinary tract infection may cause it. For example, prostate surgery or a TERP, transurethral resection of the prostate, uh, diabetic neuropathy. That's why it's important to have a low-sugar diet, stroke or nerve damage to the spinal cord, Thyroid conditions can cause it, retrograde ejaculation, where the semen goes backward into the bladder and as opposed to uh, leaving the bladder. There's also, of course, like anything else, psychological causes of delayed ejaculation. So depression and anxiety, performance issues, poor body image, cultural or religious taboos as well, and certainly medications, some diuretics. Uh, or fluid pills, as they're commonly called, some antidepressants, high blood pressure medications have lots of uh, side effects like that. And of course, alcohol, consuming too much alcohol. And you know what? You may not be able to assess whether you are consuming enough alcohol, but if the people that love you and that live with you and that know you, if they express concern for how much alcohol you're drinking, then it can be a concern and it may be one of the causes for delayed ejaculation. Okay, so when I come back, going to talk about uh, the Zika virus and all of the fears that uh, has uh, caused for a number of travelers. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I'm Maureen McGrath, your hostess of this show as uh so i did i didn't want to forget that uh i know it's important to you guys what uh and and the women out there um what body shape is most appealing to men this study was published in the journal evolution and human behavior this year and and so i think the next time i do a blog mat i'm going to put a picture of a curvy woman up there because just like you that uh, most men had better memory for a woman's hobbies, education, age, job, even her name, because you know how you forget that sometimes, or you mess it up, you call someone a different name, when she had a body shape with a waist-to-hip ratio of 0.7. This body shape, this curvy body shape, is the most memorable to men, and that is uh, according to the latest research. So men remembered the most number of details about women who had the curvy shape, as I said. So it really influences a man's perception of a woman's attractiveness. So this uh, attractive waist-to-hip ratio leads men to have superior overall memory for her appearance and biographical background. So that is the most attractive shape, that curvy shape that uh, that you liked, Matt. And that will be the next picture on my blog, on my Fifty Shades of I cannot Pink. wait to see your next blog. blog. <laughs> I have one, actually, that's coming out tomorrow, and it's called My Vagina Doesn't Swallow. A patient said that to me. 
So, but it's important information, you know. It, no, a vagina does not swallow, a vagina absorbs. But go to Fifty Shades of Pink tomorrow and you can read that blog. And that has a really great picture that you'll all want to take a look at it at anyhow. Um, so the health experts have warned us on travel to Miami. Pregnant women have been told to avoid traveling to the Miami area affected by the Zika virus because 10 new cases have been confirmed. And this warning comes as officials confirm a total of 14 cases in the state, all thought to have been spread by local mosquitoes. Well, of course, the Zika virus is also spread by sex. So that area to avoid is a one-mile section north of the downtown Miami area known as Woodward. Uh, Wood, Winwood, sorry, not Woodward's, Winwood. Um, that they also advise that men and women who have recently visited the area should wait at least eight weeks before trying to conceive a child because the Zika infection has been found to linger in sperm for months. The... Uh, there are certain protected areas in the body, and one of those areas is the testicles. And that is why it is, uh, remains in the sperm. It's been found to remain in sperm for six months. So men with Zika symptoms should wait at least six months before trying to have a baby with their partner. And women who live in or have visited Miami Dade after, 15, after the 15th of June should also be tested for Zika. Then the reason this is of such concern is because Zika has been associated with the birth defect microcephaly. Microcephaly is is when the a baby is born with a very small brain and head and has developmental uh, issues and brain damage, and they often do not develop normally at all. And this is where the main damage seems to occur. We have had one baby born in Canada with Zika virus. So far, that baby is developing normally, but most unfortunately. Uh, often some of the issues, some of the brain damage doesn't come out uh, until uh, the child begins to develop. So that child is being um, watched very carefully as you would. And it is quite uh, a concern uh, for people. So this should really make your head buzz. I mean, a lot of people say, well, we're in Canada, it's cold. We don't have to worry about it, but obviously we've we already have one confirmed case and and about eleven more uh, people who have been infected with the uh, eleven more pregnant women who have been infected with the Zika virus. So Zika is typically transmitted by two species of mosquitoes, and one of them is responsible for dengue fever. And um, so this can be found in Florida. Only the females bite. Nothing different from us females. Um, But there is documented evidence that Zika can be passed by sexual contact. It has been detected in semen. It's been detected in vaginal fluids, and it lives there about eight weeks. Saliva, urine, breast milk, and blood. And it's found in babies' cerebrospinal fluid as well once they have been born. Even patients with no symptoms apparently can spread the disease, and that's something that is important to know. So if you have somebody who's traveled down to Miami, you need to be very careful um, upon their return. There have been multiple cases of Zika in other countries, being passed through blood transfusions, but so far we don't have any of those in the in North America. Uh, so blood donations now, we also have to look at that as well. Many communities in this country and in the U.S. are putting blood donation screening programs in place. 
So Zika cannot be transmitted from animals to humans. That's something else to be, uh, that's important to know. And once you have had Zika, scientists think it is likely you would be protected from future infections. So that's something good. Unlike some other viruses like hepatitis C, Zika appears to live in the body for only a short amount of time. So that eight weeks to six months is what it's looking like. Um, from a, a sexual perspective. So Zika has fairly mild symptoms compared with other mosquito-borne illnesses like dengue fever. The If you have been bitten by a mosquito that has the Zika virus, you may feel like you have a bad cold or a mild flu. So only 20% of people infected with Zika actually have symptoms. And while Zika infections appear to be fairly harmless and short-lived... As we know, uh, as as it has been confirmed, they, it can cause severe birth defects. And they are continuing to look at the connection with other neurological disorders like Guillain-Barre syndrome, which can cause temporary paralysis. The paralysis begins in the feet and moves upward uh, where people can stop breathing and then require um, ventilation. So require being placed on a ventilator. The big four Zika symptoms are fever, red eyes, rash, and joint pain. But all four may not show up at the same time if you're infected. And of course, other viruses can cause some of the same symptoms, which is why it's very difficult to properly diagnose Zika. The symptoms usually appear a few days to a week after the infection. Even if you're not sure uh, that it's Zika, it's a good idea to always see your doctor and ask about testing. Uh, There are two types of Zika tests. There's the PCR, which can detect the active Zika virus, and of course an antibody test, which can determine whether you have been exposed to the Zika virus as well. Also, blood and urine samples are are collected, and tests are now available um, through some of the community health centers as well. Um, So it's you need to speak to your doctor. It's your doctor that needs to organize um, how uh, your testing uh, to be done. And so that's probably not that commonplace now, uh, but it will be as time goes on, and you will be prepared. You will have the information. So you don't want to have anything um, like kiddie pools or gutters or fountains or anything else that collects water because those mosquitoes, um, of course, we may or may not have to worry about that here, but it will it will be coming, believe you me. Um, so it's it's actually, you want to keep the mosquitoes to a minimum, keep your landscape landscaping well trimmed. It's uh, always a good idea, regardless. Uh, so anyway, there's lots of things um, that you can do to prevent this. And of course, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has put out some guidelines as well. They're updating their practice advisory all of the time. Uh, And so we do need a lot more uh, research on this. And perhaps out of the Olympics, we'll get some more um, information. Uh, Unfortunately, sometimes we get it through people who have actually been infected and and perhaps have uh, delivered babies. So um, remember, it's, it may not cause any symptoms. It can be a mild illness, but that microcephaly is such a devastating condition in infants uh, that you, want to, you do not want to take any risk whatsoever. And you want to refrain from uh, having sex with somebody who has been exposed or who has been in that uh, Miami-Dade area. A lot of people travel 
for business, and and these things spread. Uh, so you want to be uh, quite careful about that. Um, anyway, so well, you can always give me a call if you like. The number to call is six zero four two eight zero nine eight nine eight or star nine eight nine eight on your cell. Um, I wanted to talk to you again, uh, keeping on a bit of the serious nature here tonight. Uh, I came across a feminist porn website uh, for women who are sexual assault survivors. This will hopefully help them to reclaim their bodies. I see a lot of women in my clinical practice who have been sexually abused, sexually assaulted, sexually abused as a child, sexually assaulted, uh, perhaps as a child, as an adolescent, as a woman. And this can really uh, negatively impact a woman's ability to experience orgasm, a woman's ability to have sexually satisfying experiences, and, and certain things can trigger it. And if you've ever watched porn, you've probably experienced it. You're browsing for something that appeals to you sexually, and instead you open up something that is very sinister, something that is very evil. Well, for victims of rape or sexual assault, that risk is even that much greater. If sex has been used as a weapon against you, and that's effectively what it is in sexual assault and or rape, that the last thing you want to see is something that reminds you of that violence and trauma. Well, the Clit List is a new online database, database of feminist porn, which is aimed at helping women reclaim their bodies after sexual assault, which I, I really think is a beautiful thing. After somebody uh, tries to heal emotionally, takes that time to deal with what they've been through, deal with the trauma, deal with the post-trauma, uh, this may be something to help them because we're sexual beings from cradle to grave. And, and uh, you know, that we don't want that to have been something that's been taken away from us. Um, this is something that is definitely needed, I feel, and I and I feel that it's a great idea. People who were raped or sexually assaulted, they want a place to talk about how the experience impacts them sexually. They feel ashamed. They feel so embarrassed. They feel like they're the only ones. So uh, there are workshops that can be held uh, where people uh, talk about uh, surviving sexual assault. They talk about things like masturbation, how to feel in control sexually again, because women feel out of control sexually, and this can really impact them. It may be a secret that a woman is ke- has kept from you because she's so ashamed if you're in a relationship with a woman who has been um, sexually assaulted or raped. And, and one of the issues that uh, comes up very frequently is this porn issue and women want to be able to explore their sexuality in a safe way but when they see this porn that is sinister that is evil that is hardcore uh, that is violent that makes women feel degraded they actually end up feeling worse uh, so you know the clit list isn't isn't perfect it's not for everybody but it's an option and it re- respects the fact and recognizes the fact that everyone is different and what you find arousing or disturbing will be different but it's it's something to uh try for sure and all of the uh porn is vetted so somebody actually views porn all day and um and accepts it or not and we have to recognize that porn is not just a man's game anymore so many women watch porn and so we need more services aimed at women regardless of their experience anyway so that's something to check out the clit list 
Uh, Otherwise, um, you know, it's one of the most tragic things that can happen to uh, women is rape or sexual assault. So um, hopefully this will make things a little bit easier for you. Anyway, when I come back, we're going to be talking a little bit more about self-esteem and sexual self-esteem, especially for those of you on Tinder. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I'm Maureen McGrath. I'm your host. Thanks for staying here with me. We're coming up into the final strokes of the sex show. So uh, glad you stayed for the final strokes. They can often be the best. Uh, I was going to read some of your emails. And uh, hello, Maureen. Enjoy your show. Thank you. I'm a guy in my 40s. I get this slight rash inside my lower lip of the mouth. Sometimes I feel it, and sometimes I don't feel it. Should I be concerned? Any over-the-top medication? Uh, please advise. Thanks, Jay. Uh, you know, Jay, it's really difficult for me to advise through a microphone through, or diagnose <laughs> through a microphone. Uh, so it may be a cold sore because you can get those on the inner lower lip of the mouth. Uh, so if that's what it is, but I do suggest you go to your doctor and ask your doctor what it is, because if you're engaging in oral sex and it is a cold sore or HSV1, herpes simplex virus 1, you can actually transmit that genitally. So, uh, somebody can end up with genital herpes. The HSV1 virus has been found in the, uh, genital area. It, in, in past it was, it was felt it was exclusively HSV2 or genital herpes, but no longer. So I would definitely uh, take get that taken care of. But if it is a cold sore, you could try an over-the-counter medication like glycine is one of them. And there are creams that can help to reduce the discomfort, uh, if you will. But definitely get that checked. So I, I can't uh, really diagnose that, especially if it comes and goes and, and it's related to stress. It, it may very well be that as well. Um, Okay, this was an email that I got last week, uh, <laughs> Matt, and I took this as a bit of a compliment. <laughs> hey, Maureen, have you ever caught your foreskin in your jacket zipper? Okay, <laughs> so yeah, for somebody who has to work on her toughness with other people, I think he was insinuating that I was uh, on the perhaps as tough as any man out there. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know. Anyway, we're not going to. I mean, around. I wouldn't doubt it. Like, with, with, if you guys were able to give birth, then uh... I think he was thinking that. Uh, uh, you know, I think it was a, and perhaps the subject that I was talking about that you know, that perhaps I'm considered to be quite a tough broad. <laughs> I got anyway, you. I got you now. I would say nothing is further from the truth, but that's not true either. You know, I'm I'm working on that being tough. Anyway. Um, People, some guys aren't comfortable with strong women. You know, it's, it can be a turnoff for a lot of guys. Anyway, I don't care. Hi, Maureen. I just purchased my first package of Joy Gel. I know it will vary, but how long after starting to use it can I expect to get some relief from the dryness and itching? I started three weeks ago and have been using it as suggested four times a week. I'm 54 years old and have not had a period since December 2015, so I guess in menopause. Please tell me this will work and get better, and if you can give me an idea of when that would be, it would be awesome. Well, first of all, I just want to say that, um, the first of all, I want to correct, you haven't had a period since December 2015. That means you are perimenopausal, the years leading up to menopause. So you're not 
uh, menopausal, which is really lasts for a second. And then it's, it's either perimenopause or postmenopause. So after one year of no periods, you become postmenopausal. So Joy Gel, as with any of the other personal moisturizers like Gynotroph, for example, which is a gel, um, and Joy Gel is actually a cream, but uh, they, it takes about, after using it for about a week nightly and then two or three times a week, it takes about two months to optimize. So if you have, in addition to vaginal dryness, uh, as this woman, her name is, uh, let's call her Joan. Uh, uh, if you just have vaginal dryness, then uh, you that's okay. Use the Joy Gel. But if you have more symptoms like dryness and itching, and especially if the itching doesn't go away, you want to be diagnosed properly. This could be a yeast infection. So uh, in which case, Joy Gel may help to balance things, but it, it may not actually um, help you. So the other thing is you may have vaginal atrophy, and so vaginal atrophy requires treatment with something that is approved for vaginal atrophy, like Gynotroph, which is a, a gel that's inserted into the vagina. If that doesn't work, then you would move on to one of the localized low-dose estrogen therapy treatments. So uh, if you don't feel any change uh, after two months from the dryness and itching, it may be time to try something else or to actually go to your doctor and speak to your doctor about that. But thank you so much for that question. Uh, so we have another question from Steve, I think this is. <laughs> I love these questions. Hi, Maureen. My new sex partner claims she had her cervix surgically removed, so it's impossible for her to get pregnant, question mark, question mark. Am I being told a pile of baloney? Could she be trying to trap me by getting herself pregnant? Can a woman still have a period if her cervix is removed? Steve, yes, of course, a woman can still have a period if her cervix is removed. The cervix is rarely entirely removed. So also your partner can still, although it be there is some reduction in fertility, your partner still can get pregnant even though she has had part of her cervix removed. Is she giving you a pile of baloney? Could she try, be trying to trap you? I have no idea. I can't answer that question. That's really about your relationship. So that's uh, something. <laughs> I'm not reading that next uh, <laughs> email. Uh, so that's something that you need to deal with in your own relationship, okay? And so ask this person up front, you know, communication is key. Are you in love with this person? It sounds like there might be some trust issues there already, okay? Uh, should we go to break now, do you think, Matt? And then when I come back, we'll talk about the uh, low self-esteem of people on Tinder. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath. I am your host. I'm a registered nurse. I'm also very concerned about health. If you have any questions about sex or health, give me a call, 604 Two eight zero nine eight nine eight or star nine eight nine eight on your cell. I'll answer anything, and I definitely don't bite through the mic. That's for darn sure. Don't be afraid. But I, I you know, a lot of people are shy. They are embarrassed. They think that everybody is going to know their voice. Well, they're not. Imagine if you had my voice. <laughs> Everyone recognizes my voice. I can't go anywhere. They don't recognize me, but they recognize my voice. Uh, so we're going to talk about Tinder. So apparently users of the popular app Tinder, the dating app Tinder, 
feel a certain way about themselves. Tinder is a dating app that's available on mobile devices with a reported 50 million active users. Individual profiles are rated by other users as acceptable by swiping right or unacceptable by swiping left. If two users deem each other acceptable, then they are matched and can begin communicating with one another. So there's some new research out that actually demonstrates a little bit about how people who use this popular dating app, Tinder, feel about themselves. So I was going to ask Matt if uh, I know he's been on Tinder in the past. Uh, Matt? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, I've been single since March and I thought about going back on and then just looking at it, about to download it again and I just didn't didn't feel like it did uh, thinking of utilizing more traditional ways perhaps to i don't somebody? know i guess maybe uh, now that i'm not that old but i prefer i'd rather just go to a bar and like seeing someone looking in their eyes mm-hmm. i like yeah i like that sometimes if i see someone that's cute i'll give a little a lingering stare and and there you go the magic happens well uh, not always no <laughs> Well, perhaps I will auction you off at my upcoming event, the Vancouver Women's Conference on November 12th at the Fairmont. Maybe I'll have to cut my hair then. (laughs) Uh, Not to worry. You look grand. Um, I do have Ed on the line, I guess. Is that Ed? Ed. Hi, Maureen. How are you? I'm doing well yourself. I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for the call. By the way, I would swipe uh, right for you, Maureen. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that's very sweet of you. And you've only heard my voice. That's right. That's <laughs> Based right. on the voice alone. That's right. <laughs> um, I was calling about the Zika virus. Yes. Uh, something really worries me in that the Olympic Games have literally 150 countries at the Games, I believe. Yes. Or somewhere there. Mm-hmm. If, if 5 to 10 or 15 or 20 people get the Zika virus, go back to their home country, and then a mosquito bites them in their home country, that mosquito can take on the Zika virus and it could spread spread that way. So I think there's, we might be looking at a pandemic in three, four, five years. I think we have a great risk. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. And I, you know, much like sexually transmitted, well, this is a sexually transmitted infection. And so they spread like wildfire and... Uh, that's why I think we all need to be concerned. I think you're absolutely correct. And the Olympics are historically known as, you know, breeding grounds, no pun intended. I mean, they run out of condoms at basically every single Olympic event. And they're having all of their events <laughs> there as well. well. It was my understanding that every athlete received 44 condoms. Is that all? Yeah, each. So <laughs> Not enough. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure that's enough from what I've heard. <laughs> well, but, it, but the, the, the mosquitoes, unlike sexually transmitted diseases, I don't believe a sexually transmitted disease can be um, transmitted by a mosquito. So this is a whole new bailiwick, and I, I, it really worries me. Well, theoretically it can, because the, the person gets bitten by a mosquito that has the Zika virus. It lives in the testicles for six months. Or it stays in a woman's vaginal fluid for eight weeks. No, I'm, beca- I, oh, I'm saying that, 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 yes, I know that'll happen that way. But 
sexually transmitted disease besides Zika, mm-hmm. they were not transmitted. Oh, uh, by mosquitoes. By mosquitoes. Right. So this Initially. is a whole new thing. And, it's, and it, it is. really worries me. Absolutely. And we should be worried and we need education around it. So thank you, Ed, so much for uh, backing me up there. <laughs> I appreciate it. Okay, speaking of sexually transmitted infections, we're going to talk about Tinder. (laughs) Or we were talking about Tinder. So whether you are swiping left or swiping right, male users of the popular dating app Tinder appear to have lower levels of self-esteem. So this could indicate, Matt, that your self-esteem is healthy and good. Well, maybe it's I've I've bounced back after the breakup, and that's what it is. It it could be, absolutely. But uh, all users appear to have more negative perception of body image than those who don't use the app, according to research presented at the annual American Psychological Association. I mean, we're really going to have to look deeper into these Tinder apps and these dating apps and what what impact it has on on people. Uh, To be rejected all the time, it's difficult for people to handle that, or um, uh, people report having lower levels of satisfaction with their faces and bodies. They have lower self-worth than the men and women who did not use Tinder. Uh, so that's an interesting finding. In the study, there were 1,044 1, women and 273 men who were mostly undergraduate students were asked to complete questionnaires that asked about their use of Tinder as well as about their body image, sociocultural factors, perceived objectification, and psychological well-being. Approximately 10% reported using Tinder. Both male and female users reported less satisfaction with their bodies and looks compared to non-users. So is this just about the sex? Is this about, is this that looks don't matter? Um, Is it, you know, they say that Tinder is just uh, for hookups, basically. But it was only the male Tinder users who reported lower levels of self-esteem, which I think was really interesting because this is what this Tinder is supposed to be. I mean, there's all these bravado men using it and, and racking up all of their conquests, their sexual conquests. But the study found that being actively involved with Tinder, regardless of the user's gender, was associated with body dissatisfaction, body shame, body monitoring, internalization of societal expectations of beauty, comparing oneself physically to others, and reliance on media for information on appearance and attractiveness. So these are interesting findings, and I think uh, we're going to actually learn a little bit more about that. Uh, the study was primarily aimed toward women and and their perception of objectification and self-esteem. But the results suggest that men are just as affected by exploitation and low self-esteem as women, if not more. Anyway, interesting, and I think uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about that and see uh, what this generation who's you know been a big users of Tinder and some of those other online dating apps, what uh, their mental health is going to be like and what their... Uh, sexual relationships are going to be like if they're going to have problems in them. Anyway, it's going to keep me employed. Whatever. Uh, So we're going to go to break. And when I come back, uh, we'll just wrap this baby up. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back. One of my favorite songs. I love that song. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Thanks for staying with me the whole two hours, if you did. <laughs> if you did that, regardless of whether you, when you joined me in the program, I really appreciate your being here with me. It's my pleasure to be here with you. I do want to answer some of your emails, and I have, I have this one. Uh, this came a couple of weeks ago. Uh, hi, Maureen. 
and it's entitled Say It Ain't So. I keep hearing you talk about sexless relationships, and frankly, it makes my testes wither. Laugh out loud, not literally. Been a single dad for the past several years. Between kids, life, and work, there was little time left for a social life. Now that I have become an empty nester, I'm ready to pursue a more balanced social life. Problem is that women in my age group, 50 plus, seem to be less than ecstatic regarding sex. Listening to your program, I am concerned that I'm venturing into a sexual desert. Oh my God, I need an oasis. I believe, like you, that sex is an important part of any relationship. What's up with the modern woman? The spank is just not a satisfying alternative for a true contact and intimacy. People seem to be losing the art of socializing. What's a guy to do? P.S. Maybe you should consider a line of adult dolls for your toy inventory. Maybe. Uh, you know, you got to meet the right person. And uh, this is why education is key. And I, I you know, it's uh, just get out there and... Um, uh, Communicate, make that part that's an important aspect of your relationship, uh, of any relationship for you, or you definitely want to get into a um, marriage or a relationship where sex is a part. Unlike this gentleman here, serious question, he writes, you speak of the importance of sex for overall health. I certainly concur. My primarily sexless marriage of about 22 years ended seven years ago. Since that ending, I've had no desire to enter a relationship. It hasn't made sense to me as the full-time custodial parent of a relatively young family, gainfully employed and have my own business interests that I'm working on. However, my sex drive is high and I do masturbate frequently, probably average five to eight times a week. My oldest child, who is, I trust, unaware of my masturbation activity has mentioned that some European countries' healthcare system cover the cost of sexual surrogate partners, recognizing the overall health value of human contact, touch, and intimacy. I have not explored whether or not there are professional surrogates here in Vancouver. There are. I have, though, explored human connection touch with happy ending massages at the numerous day spas in the region. Don't tell your son about those. Overall, the rather tell him about the masturbation. Overall, the experience has been largely positive in terms of an emotional, intellectual connection as well as the touch aspect. Some are hit and miss. For example, there is not real emotional connection. Sometimes a person just needs to be hugged and to hug. On occasion, I have mixed thoughts on this as I am aware that there are good arguments for suggesting that the body rub industry is exploitive of women. I often think that I am permitting myself to be exploited by my own weakness, read needs. As a long-term listener who respects your views, most especially your view on the societal relationship dynamic between men and women, I would like to hear your thoughts on this. I do not wish to be participating in an activity that continues in the subjugation and exploitation of women. I can say, though, that my encounters have been very respectful, nay polite, and a significant connection is made, if only for that session. Uh, if you believe that happy ending massage facilities are exploitive of women and that these activities are to be shunned, what would you suggest for someone like myself who does not have the time available to devote to establishing and maintaining a committed romantic and sexual relationship? It's really not what I think. If you feel that it's not exploitive of these women that you are with, uh, then that is fine. You can also choose a friend with benefits if you feel better about it that way. Uh, but I understand that you have sexual needs and sexual desires, and as you say, um, you uh, actually connect with some of these women and you're, you know, not everybody that is in this industry is unhappy with being in this industry. So 
It's really a decision that you need to make uh, for yourself and what you're the most comfortable with. I'm not sure if that gives you uh, the answer that you were looking for, but but you see, sexless relationships are very common. Uh, one of the reasons that uh, sexless relationships and marriages occur is because the finances are such a big issue. So when you go to bed with your mortgages, your bills, your credit card payments on your mind, it is no wonder that you wake up not feeling great uh, and having high levels of stress. Well, according to a research study out of Brandeis University in Massachusetts, people dealing with these high levels of financial stress look like they've aged more over decades. So I say deal with your financial stress. You'll have a better sex life. Anyway, it's been a pleasure being here with you this evening. Thanks so much for your emails and your calls. I love it. Uh, you can always visit my website, backtothebedroom.ca. You can, don't forget to head on over to my blog, Fifty Shades of Pink. I also have a new blog coming up as well. It's going to be at WEN, Women's Health Initiative Net- Network. It's a national organization. Have some events coming up in the fall. I'll tell you about those next week. And remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I am Maureen McGrath. Until next week, have a sexually healthy week. Thanks for listening, everybody.